Um, the book of Acts is basically the story of what happened after Jesus' death and resurrection and how the church grew. And I have a question for you. Have you ever believed something that uh, the people around you thought was really stupid? Um, my wife and I had a long, like multi-year feud over the lyrics to an early 2000s song by then-pop superstars Destiny's Child. Um, a little song called Bootylicious. And there, the opening line in that song is, I don't think you're ready for this jelly, right? Obviously. My wife swore up and down... Um, that it was, I don't think you're ready for this yet, which sounds like a lot more plausible than I don't think you're ready for this jelly, right? <laughs> but I maintained for years, and like somehow we knew it was too sacred to just like go to Google and figure it out. And uh, so we went back and forth for years about what the lyrics were until one day she saw a child wearing a T-shirt that said, had a jellyfish on it. And it said, I don't think you're ready for this jelly. And suddenly she said, you have been, oh my gosh, you've been right this entire time. <laughs> like, Google, it, it was not like the CD booklet. We didn't like, you know, none of that would she believe. But that kid's t-shirt, for some reason, changed, <laughs> convinced her that I was telling the truth. And uh, that's silly, but a, a serious question is, what would possibly possess a person to believe in Jesus, right? Um, to become a Christian when no one else around them believes in Jesus, right? The book of Acts is people going out and taking this good news of this man, Jesus, who they say died and was raised, and they're going to places where nobody has ever heard of Jesus, and people are coming to faith. How does that happen? And for us, what would possess a person to become a Christian, to put their faith in Jesus in an environment where, like, increasingly, it's like Christianity is, like, at best, like, lame and silly, and like at worst sort of closed-minded or oppressive. I mean, why follow a Jesus um, who was put on a tree, hung there naked, apparently in failure, when there are so many options for success, right? So many paths for success. Why follow a Jesus who says, I am the way and the truth and the life, when you guys know as well as I do, you can customize as many ways and truths and lives as you would like to have for yourselves. And tonight we look at these two people in, in Acts chapter 16, two very different kinds of people who decide to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus. Um, and I think that God sheds a lot of light for us on this mystery that we call faith. Why is it, how is it that people put their faith in Jesus? Okay, so we're going to read here what's happening, to give you some context as we jump in. These guys, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, who's the, who's the author of Acts, are traveling on a missionary trip, like a mission trip, if you will, from Israel, sort of around uh, uh, the Asian, sort of lower Asian world, and they land in northern Greece, and that's where we pick up here in verse 11. Uh, listen, this is the word of the living God. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, um, and there from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. It's an important place. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. 
from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Oh, sorry. <laughs> in, in, the, in the interim there, uh, Paul casts a demon out of a woman who was a fortune teller. And then her owners, because she was a slave, would get super angry because like all their fortune telling money is now gone because they cast this demon out. So they put Paul and Silas in jail. Okay, that's why about midnight they're in jail. FYI. <laughs> about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Uh, we believe that this is God's word. I believe this is God's word. And so I'm going to ask uh, God to bless us as we think about it together. Father, thank you so much um, for your word, uh, the Bible. Uh, Lord, it is more, much more than it appears to be, uh, than just a book, than just an ancient book at that. But Lord, you say it, that it's the words of life, that it's living and active. And so Lord, um, I just ask you to help us to, to uh, believe that that's true, that you would speak to us through your word, and that we would see Jesus, who is not what he appears to be. No mere man, no mere failure, um, but indeed the creator of heaven and earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So God shows us two things in this passage that I think help us understand the mystery that we call faith. Why is it that people find themselves believing in Jesus? And the first thing that God gives people with faith is he gives a sense of curiosity. Okay? God gives people a sense of curiosity. Now, there's this woman, her name is Lydia, and she's from a town called Thyatira, which is an important place. She's what's called a God-fearer, and what that means is that she was not Jewish ethnically, but she resonated deeply with Judaism, and she thought it to be true. And so she prayed to the God of the Old Testament, the Jewish God, and, uh, but she wasn't like, sort of, she didn't just become fully Jewish, she just sort of prayed to God in that way. And she, she dealt in expensive clothing made out of purple. That was, that was purple in color, which meant that it was really, really expensive. And that meant that she was a strong, independent, sort of financially secure, if not wealthy, uh, woman. I think of her like Miranda Priestley from Devil Wears Prada, um, but like a lot nicer. Not, not the uh, hardcore band Devil Wears Prada, uh, just to clear that up, just for between me and Garrett. The late 90s movie, or early 2000s movie, starring, uh, what's her name? Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. But who plays Miranda? What's her name? Uh, Meryl Streep. Thank you. 
Anyway, so she's like Miranda Priestly, but nicer. Strong, independent, graceful, well-dressed. And Paul and his friends go down to this riverside because they know there's a prayer meeting there. And they meet Lydia and they begin to speak with her. And in verse 14, it says this, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. God opened her heart, in a sense, gave her ears to hear what Paul was saying, that she could give attention to it. He gave her a sense of curious interest. And faith is marked by a curious interest in what God is saying to us. We find ourselves becoming curious about what God has to say. People follow Jesus and come to faith in Jesus because God opens our heart to listen to what he's saying to us. Um, God initiates with us so that we can hear him. And I know a lot of you guys are here tonight and you're like, I keep coming to RUF or I keep coming to this community group or I keep hanging out with this one Christian friend and I cannot figure out why. Something, I'm not even sure what I'm interested in about this Jesus message, but I'm interested in something. And if that's you, if you keep finding yourself coming around and you're not sure why, my question and sort of challenge for you tonight is, what may happen if you continue to follow that curious interest? Uh, What may happen if you continue to pull that thread and follow that path? Or you might be here and you're a follower of Jesus And you have a friend, and they've begun to show some curiosity in what you believe about Jesus. And my question and challenge for you is, what might happen if you began to share what God says to them? You bring them with you to your local church. You may bring them with you to a meeting like this, and we would be flattered and honored by that and hope to minister to that person well. What would it be like if you brought them to your community group? Um... Uh, what would it be like if you just simply went to dinner and spoke with them? Because God is the initiator in our life, and that takes a lot of the pressure off of us. God is the one that opens our heart and gives us curiosity. And that's good news for this reason. I would say everybody in this room longs for someone to initiate relationship with them. You know, I think whether it's you're trying out a new church or you see someone attractive in your chemistry lab on the first day, Um, or you're you're, um, estranged from a parent, Um, or you haven't talked to a friend in a while back home, we all long for someone to initiate relationship with us, to move toward us with interest. And what God is saying is that's what he does for us. He takes an interest in us. And could it be that the maker of heaven and earth is giving you or your friend, a sense of that curiosity. So the first thing is that God gives a sense of curiosity. But the second thing, and what I really want to spend our time on tonight, is that God gives us a sense of need. We do not like to feel needy. We are people that at various times feel like we are in control and don't have, we we want and need nothing. Um, But God is gracious to give us a sense of need. Now, Paul, like I said, ends up in jail. Paul and Silas end up in jail because they cast this demon out of this woman. And then people couldn't use her and abuse her for her gifts any longer. So they throw them in jail. I hate to imagine what may have happened to that young woman. But they get thrown in jail. And they're in there, as you do in prison, singing songs. You know, just an opportunity to try out some of your favorite, you know, hymns or whatever. And, uh, And they're shackled to the floor. 
and there's a huge earthquake. And suddenly all the doors are open, all the shackles are busted, and they're free. And this man comes out who was the jailer. What that would have meant is that he is like an ex-Roman military official, sort of like a middle-aged uh, ex-military guy, sort of beyond his military prime, but still of use as like a bouncer, you know? And uh, he's like a blue-collar like corrections officer, if, if you will. But the thing that happens here is when this earthquake happens, he thinks everybody is gone from the prison. And what that would have meant for him is that he was going to be killed because you can't just have prison guards that let prisoners go, right? So what, what happened in the Roman government is they would have actually given this guy, they would have shamed him and then given him capital punishment. And so suddenly he finds himself in a sense of desperation. He is in a crisis. And he actually says, when, when Paul and, his, and Silas are like, no, 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 we're still here. We haven't gone anywhere. You know, I mean, you could imagine being in prison and then suddenly the door busts open and then you just stay. You just sit put, you know, see what happens next. Um, they say, no, 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 we're still here. And he goes to them and he says, what must I do to be saved? I don't think he's going to them and saying, hey, you guys know about Jesus. Can you tell me how I can get saved? Like, uh, he has no category for Jesus or salvation. He's really most immediately feeling like what's going to happen to him because of this event. He's basically in this moment of trauma going, I am screwed. I have no idea what to do. Can you help me figure out how to get out of the situation? And what Paul does, instead of answering that question, he answers the question sort of beneath that question. He answers the question of why, why this person is despairing in the first place. And what he says, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Paul took the opportunity to deal with the heart of this man because the man knew he was in need. When Paul saw that this man recognizes that he's needy, Paul said, I want to speak to a deeper need below the needs that you're aware of. Uh, when I was uh, in my mama's belly and she was going to give birth to me, a uh, young, young woman that she was, and um, uh, when she started having contractions, you know, they put the baby on a monitor and like my uh, heart rate would drop every time she had a contraction. And there was a sign that something was wrong. There was some sense of need that something wasn't going well. So they rushed my mother in to have a cesarean, a C-section, to cut me out. And what was happening was that the umbilical cord was around my neck. And so when she would have a contraction and everything would kind of like seize in, it would seize in around my neck. And it, had I been born, uh, I would have been strangled, right? There was a sense of, of need. Something is not quite right. And so what it did was it compelled the doctors to move in and to rescue me from that situation. And uh, my question for you is, what has brought you to a sense of need lately? What has happened in your world, and your life, and your experience, where it breaks down that comfortable sense of, I'm in control, and you realize there's something I need that I don't have? Maybe you're just feeling like you're in a mess, like everything is out of control, you don't know what to do. And I would just say, before we continue, number one, that is the most normal feeling. Uh, if you're here and, you're, and you're, you're not yet a Christian, we love that you're here, and you're probably more okay with the feeling in need than some of the Christian people in the room that are like, I'm a Christian, that, therefore that means that I'm always hopeful and everything's fine. And what happens when I feel like I'm in crisis or I'm in trauma? 
that's normal for Christians and everyone else because, after all, Paul and Silas are still in the prison, right? Um, but maybe it's something that, that, that's happened to you that's made you feel needy. Maybe it's some, a lingering sense of regret because of something that you've done. Maybe it's a breakup. Maybe it's a bad decision. Uh, maybe it's just a growing awareness of this thing that is your family and that it's not quite what you thought that it was. Or do you just become aware because you're in college and you start learning about the world that people all over the world are in need and they're suffering and the world isn't as it should be. And perhaps it's even taken you to the point where you feel like the only sensible or live option is to, is to check out, um, is to end your life uh, and, to, and to stop moving forward and to just remove yourself from the situation. And let me just say to that again, you are in very good company if that is you. You are not the only person in this room who has thought those thoughts, who has gone up to the edge and tried to step over even. You are in very good company in this room, and you're in very good company in Jesus' church. And I want you to hear that definitively. Um, If you have a sense of need tonight, whether you've gone up to that point, or maybe it's just something that feels relatively minor to you tonight, there is good news, and that's this. Not just that you're in good company of people that know what you're going through, even though that's true. The better news is this, and that's that Jesus is a rescuer. His primary function in your life at this point is to rescue you. Jesus rescues people who are in a mess. And he's rescuing a world that is in a mess. And I want you, wherever you are tonight, to hear Jesus saying to you, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, the old is passing away. And the new is coming. Jesus is a rescuer. There's a pastor um, by the name of Brian Chapel, and he tells this story, and I think it really illustrates beautifully the love of Jesus as a rescuer to us. And there's, there's two young boys playing on the banks of the Mississippi uh, River in St. Louis, and uh, they were told not to play there because what would happen is these ships would come, these barges, and they would dredge the bottom of, of the river, and they would deposit the sediment on the bank. And what would happen is the water would rush out of that sediment back into the river, of course, and it would create these holes of these suction. And these boys were told not to play there uh, because they might fall in. And one day the brothers didn't come back from playing for a while, and so a search party was sent out. And after several hours, they found the younger brother buried up to his neck in the sand, and he was passed out. And they dug him out partially, and they revived him. And they asked him where his older brother was, and he said um, that he was. He said, "I'm standing on his shoulders because he dove in after me, and he put me on his shoulders um, so that I could live. He rescued me when I was sinking down. He rescued his brother at the cost of his own life, the cost of his own safety, and that is a beautiful picture of Jesus, who the Scripture says is our true older brother." standing beneath us at the cost of his own life to rescue us from a mess of our own making. And my challenge for you tonight, and I think this is good news, is not to run from that sense of need. That when you feel needy, you feel like things aren't right. 
Some of you guys, it's easy to get there. Some of you guys, it takes a lot. Don't run from it. Don't numb it away with pleasure. Don't numb it away with distraction. Uh, one of the people that I respect more than probably almost anyone on this campus is uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Chris Patty. He's a good friend of mine, and uh, he teaches in the communications department. He's like, he won the Best in Boone Professor Award three years in a row, so they just didn't even give it out this last year because it was like getting kind of monotonous at that point. <laughs> but um, what I, part of what I love about Dr. Patty is that his PhD research is into people who have suffered, particularly um, people who, who uh, survived the Holocaust. And uh, he has a lot of suffering in his life. He suffered a lot, and if you could talk to him, he would really be free to share it. But what he did is instead of moving away from his own suffering and just kind of pretend like it wasn't there, he entered into the stories of these other people suffering. Like he just dove into it to begin to understand his own suffering. He was brave enough to step into those stories and to feel it with those people. And my challenge is don't ignore the building crumbling around you. Like don't check out. But turn to Jesus the one who is there to rescue you, cry out to him. Um, only with a sense of need will you ever come to him, and God gives that to us. Don't run away from the pain and the wreckage. Like if you, if you know someone who is despairing, what we are used to is when our life becomes a mess, everyone around us runs away. Like when we're good, everyone wants to be there, and when things suck, and I begin to be real with you about it, that things suck, people, we're used to people moving away from us. But if you've been rescued by Jesus, I mean, you can say, just like Paul and Silas do in this passage, we're still here. Like, we haven't gone anywhere. Even though everything around you is falling down, we are still here. And then take your friend who's despairing to Jesus and say, he rescues. He pulls people out. There's a woman named Rosaria Butterfield, and she had a, she came to faith surprisingly. That's another story. But I heard her being interviewed, and she said, if you're not struggling with something, the gospel is no news to you. It's like not even, because the word gospel means good news. She said, if you're not struggling with something, the gospel is no news to you. It doesn't even register. But if you're struggling, it's the very best news. Um, following Jesus allows us to look at the world as it actually is, not to like try and gloss over it, not to say it's not as bad as it looks, but to see it as it is, which is delightful and beautiful, but in many ways terribly broken and soul-crushing. The gospel makes us honest. We said the world really is as bad as it looks, but it doesn't lead us to despair because we go, our God rescues us. He gives us hope for the future. And what I think that we're all longing for is a sense of realism and a sense of hope, right? That I don't have to pretend like things aren't the way they are. I can look them square in the face and I can still be excited about what's coming. There's an old hymn called Great is Thy Faithfulness. And there's this great line that I love and it says, Basically, that God gives us strength for today and bright hope for, some, for tomorrow. Jesus rescues people and he gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Jesus gives that to us. And what I want to end on here is, you know, there's two very different kinds of people that come to faith in Jesus in this passage. Sort of this, like, uh, wealthy, grace-filled, fashionable woman. And then this totally sort of secular, blue-collar, working-class guy. Uh, when I think about their families, I think it's like it's like Mike's family on Stranger Things and like Will's family on Stranger Things, right? Um, like those are their two families. And what happens to both of them is that they both get baptized 
and their, and their households get baptized. And what that means is when, when someone gets baptized, they're brought into God's family. And they now are kin, these two families, these two people that were very, very different. And a family that has the promise of being brought to completion. And I put this Philippians passage on your sheet, and I just wanted to close on it. Because these two people came to faith, and then Paul started a church in this town where nobody knew Jesus. And when he, he wrote them a letter later, and this is how he starts his letter. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, the holy ones, in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. That's Lydia, that's this jeweler, this jeweler a jailer and their family. With the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, and this is good news for you, friends, tonight, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus rescues us into a family that is beautiful and honest and hopeful. And we begin that family now in what Jesus calls the church. This is part of that. Your local churches are part of that. And that's a family that looks forward to bright days ahead because God promises to bring uh, that, to that work that he started in us to bring it to completion. God has not given up on you, friends. Um, is God making you curious? Are you feeling a sense of need? Do you long to see the world as it is but still have hope? Then come to Jesus. He's our rescuer. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that while we were sinking down um, beneath uh, the frown of, of a God who um, that we, we were afraid that our sin was going to separate us from you, that you laid aside your crown for our soul. And um, that you, Lord Jesus, um, made yourself, in a sense, nothing. You became one like us to suffer and to give yourself for us that we could have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And Lord, I ask that you would stir in us a sense of curiosity and a sense of need and a sense of longing and hope for the future, that you would show us that you rescue sinners, and we pray in your name. Amen. Just like heaven